0: Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. It's so good to see you all. Isn't it good to be together on a Sunday morning? Isn't it good? I, uh, I had a moment about Tuesday. I don't. I don't know what. Maybe it was Monday. Maybe it was Tuesday. I'm not sure. Where I had this aha moment, and I said, "We get to go back on Sunday." It just felt surreal that we have our own place. It's, it's it's really cool. It's really cool. Before I get into what I want to talk about today, I want to give a quick plug for something, a resource, a tool that we have right now in our culture that is phenomenal. And it's the TV series called The Chosen. I would highly recommend, in fact, I would go so far to get down on my knees and beg you to watch it. It is, as Chris said, the greatest TV production he's ever seen which is saying a lot, and it's all about Jesus. It is phenomenal. What it has done is it, it has helped our generation understand that Jesus was very real. He was a human being just like us, but he was God. And it, it, just, it, it brings such a, um, a realness and the Bible to life. So, it's really easy. You just go on your app store and you get the chosen app. You can watch it for free. I would suggest donating to them so that they can t- continue on and do the next seasons because it's all funded by people like us. They have two seasons. Watch it with your families. Watch it with your kids. You, can, you might not even understand all of it, but you'll understand enough. So, get it? Okay. Good. Good. Well, originally, I was supposed to have preached last week, opening up this series called Trinity, talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I was supposed to preach on God the Father. But it was actually 100% clear to me that I was not the best one for that task, that Chris Taves was the man for the job, because he is a father. I thought that would probably be appropriate. And I didn't he do an incredible job? You pointed out things that I'd never seen before, and that was really, really cool. So instead, I took the next one, the son, Jesus. And at first I thought, this is going to be pretty easy. You know, there are some messages that are hard to give. Like they're just hard theologically. They're hard mentally and emotionally. But this one, this is on Jesus. Like this is going to be easy peasy, right? We get to talk about Jesus. I even had a couple people say to me, what's your topic? And I'm like, well, Jesus, the son. And they're like, oh, well, that'll be easy. And I agree with that on a lot of levels. Jesus is really easy for me to talk about. I've known him for a long time. I love him so much. He's everything to me. But then I begin to think about how our world views Jesus. I would even say how our world views many in our world hate Jesus. You know, my whole life, I've wondered why people seem to be pretty okay with God. They even will admit they believe in God, but they stop short of believing in Jesus. I've always wondered this. They stop short of following Jesus or knowing Jesus. And why is believing in God more culturally accepted than believing in Jesus? Why is it easier to say, I believe in God, than I believe in Jesus? Why when you ask someone about their, their faith, they say, well, yeah, I, th- I believe there's a God. But hardly ever do you hear someone say, I follow Jesus. Why is it that when people use God's name... They're surprised or happy or blown away by something. Oh, my God. And when they use Jesus' name, they're angry. Why is it that when someone talks about God, most people don't get too uncomfortable? Like, you can talk about God, and it can be fairly casual. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I want to thank God. I want to thank my family. I want to thank my, uh, my spouse. I want to thank my kids. But when someone starts to use the name of Jesus, people get a little squirmy. Why is that? So I wanted to dig into this a little bit. I realized that maybe this wasn't as easy-peasy of a message after all. (laughs) So I began to read in the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four books of the New Testament. Two of them were written by disciples of Jesus, people who actually followed along, um, two men who followed alongside him the whole time he was here on earth, Matthew and John. And then Mark and Luke are men who came after Jesus and followed the apostles, the disciples and helped spread the gospel throughout the region. So if you want to know more about Jesus, start there. Read the Gospels, because they are full of the life of Jesus. That's what they're written for. But I settled in Matthew, the book of Matthew. It's the very first book in the New Testament. Now, Matthew was an interesting character. See, Matthew was a tax collector. He was Jewish, but he worked for the Romans. So right then and there, his people didn't really like him that much. One, he collected money from them. And two, they saw him as a sellout because he went and worked for their enemy. So he's this interesting guy, and I just, I really love his perspective in the gospel and how he sees the life of Jesus. Like Chris told us last week, the word Trinity, it doesn't even show up in the Bible. Okay, the word Trinity is an early a term that early Bible scholars came up to help explain the Godhead, to help explain what this meant the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was a kids' pastor and I would try to explain the Trinity to kids. And in some ways, they were just like, oh, okay, yeah, awesome, childlike faith. And in other ways, they were like, how is that possible? So the thing that helped me explain it to them was, okay, you see Chris Taves, he was always my prop. Always in kids' church. I'd be like, come here, Chris. You're still my prop. So, oh, he's actually coming up. Okay, awesome. Come on, come on. I, I did, you're right. I did. Yes, good obedient man. Okay, so Chris Taves, right? The fine specimen of Chris Taves. Okay. This is Chris Taves. He is a father. He is also a husband. He is a friend. He's a leader. He is a salesman. He is a Canadian. He is a soon-to-be American. (laughs) What else are you? Uh (gasps) Brother? A son? son? Okay, do you get my point? Yes, he is one person, but he is also all of those other things. He has lots of different paths that he takes, identities that he assumes. Husband? I said husband. Uh, yeah. That's a very watered-down explanation of the Trinity. But it can kind of help you understand the Godhead. Three in one, one person. Three different Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I also think it's important that we talk about the Trinity as not a what, but a who. The Trinity is a person. Last week, Chris also reminded us that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He is the God of generations. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were three generations of Israelite men who were all related to one another. Chris talked about his family and the generations behind him that that paved the way for him to know the Lord. And I have the same thing on both sides of my family. I have people who were faithful to God and taught their children and raised their children to know and love and serve the Lord. And I now have children who we are doing the same thing to that. And it's going to go on and on and on and on for a thousand generations and even more. See, family was God's idea. God created family. The world right now wants to change the definition of family. They want to destroy the nuclear family. They're saying, and, and let me be very clear, family can look a lot of different ways. Your family might be a mom and some kids. Maybe you're a single mom. Your family might be a husband and a wife, and you don't have children. You might be a single person, and that's still family. But the world wants to take the definition of family and change it into something that is toxic, that is twisted, that is not what God designed See, he designed us as human beings to live in family. And he designed for, his, for us to go from generation to generation to generation. That's why he said that he will, his blessings will go for a thousand generations. See, in scripture, this is really cool. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob over a dozen times. Listen, Exodus 3. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. This was something he wanted them to hear, and he wanted them to remember. That's why he said it over and over and over again. You know when you tell your kids something twice, and then you have to tell them a third time, you're like, "I'm not telling you a third time." You don't want to keep repeating it, but you will if you really want them to get it. God said this to them over 12 times. It would be like, when I say to my husband, "There's this there's this really beautiful leather bag by Abel. I just I love it. It's so beautiful. And then, like, a week later, scrolling on Instagram, I'm like, wow, Did, have I shown you this leather bag from Abel? It's, it's beautiful. I just really love it. And then a month later, we're out somewhere, and I'm like, oh, do you see that bag over there? I, I really, I don't like the dark color. I like the, like the lighter camel color more. He bought me the bag. <laughs> When we repeat something, we want someone to get it. We want it to sink in. So I think that God went above and beyond to make sure that his people understood that he was for them. Listen, he put their names alongside his name. He didn't just name himself. He did that plenty of other times. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. But this time... He put their names alongside his. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I think this points to the value that he puts on human beings. This points to the intimacy that he wants to have with us as human beings and the importance of generations and a family. So now let's look at Jesus. Matthew 1 We're going to be reading in the first chapter. It's the very first account of Jesus in the New Testament. There are prophecies that hint at Jesus coming, at there being a Messiah, at there being a Savior in the Old Testament. But Matthew is the very first time that we actually hear the story of Jesus. So we're going to start reading in verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And it goes on for 10 more verses naming Jesus' ancestry. All of those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, Coming to earth as a human being from the book of Matthew starts with a genealogy. It starts with human beings. It says this is the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. It starts with the thing God wanted his people to remember. It says Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And it goes on and on and on. He is the God of Abraham. He is the God of Isaac. He is the God of, of Jacob. He is the God of Dalton. He is the God of Lyle. He is the God of Eliza. He is the God of, insert your name. See, the level with which Jesus desired, God desired for us to feel known and accepted by him is it's next level. It is stunning. We think that the cross was the extreme act of love. And it was. It was an extreme act of love for Jesus to go to the cross. And he said, greater love has no man than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. But I would argue also that having his son Jesus come to earth as a man, as a human being, was also an extreme act of love. And it shows us the depths to which he would go to to meet us where we are. It shows us the depths that he would go to for us to feel known by him. To not feel like some foreign object here on earth, but to feel understood and known by the Savior of the world, by God himself. And just as the beloved father, like Chris talked about last week, ran to meet his prodigal son, this was our father running to meet us. So this brings me back to that question then. We can see that God went to these great depths to help us feel connected to himself. So why are people so afraid of Jesus? And then I had a moment. It hit me. Maybe, not the only reason, but maybe a big reason people are scared to turn to Jesus is because of his humanity. See, the fear of man is a demonic spirit that infiltrates throughout all of humanity. It affects not just those who don't follow Jesus, but those of us who do too. The fear of man is an evil spirit, and it causes a demonic stronghold in many people's lives. The fear of man causes people to be paralyzed so they are not fully able to walk in the spirit of God. The fear of man causes people to make decisions based on man's opinion, not on God's truth. The fear of man leads people to choose the world's way instead of God's way. Fear of man is what may keep you from walking in total freedom. And I would venture to say that fear of man is something that every one of us in here has dealt with, is currently dealing with, or being completely controlled by. And Jesus came as a man. Now, so we're very clear. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. John 1 says this, in the beginning, the living expression was already there and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning and through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things For nothing has existence apart from him. A fountain of life was in him. For his life is light for all humanity. And this light never fails to shine through the darkness. Light that darkness could not overcome. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by a man's desire. But he was born of God. So the living expression became a man, fully God became a man, and lived among us. We gaze upon his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. So we have Jesus who is fully God and fully man, but he came to earth in human form. And I wonder if the very thing is the very thing that God used to show us his great depths of love the thing that the enemy has taken and twisted to try to keep people from Jesus. See, Jesus is the only way to the Father. The only way. You cannot buy your way to Jesus. You cannot serve your way to Jesus. You cannot beg your way to Jesus. The only way to the Father is through sacrifice of Jesus. And I, I would wonder if maybe the humanity of Jesus was as integral to his saving work as his divinity. If he were not God, he could not save us. And if he were not man, he would not have been able to be the perfect sacrifice to bear our sins. Romans 8 says this, so now the case against you is closed. It's closed. It's done. Stop talking about it. Stop worrying about it. Stop letting it keep you in the pit because it is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. Listen, so good. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. Yet, God sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt of power and sin guilt, and power of sin. So now, every righteous requirement of a law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. Is the reason that we are fearful of Jesus because we have fear of man? And the reason we have fear of man is because we have stiff-armed Jesus? See, the devil has used a demonic assignment to cause us to be fearful and dominated by one another. But when Jesus was asked, what are the two most important commandments? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Love one another. And the devil has twisted... All of this to keep us from truly knowing the son of God who is also the son of man. So I wonder if Jesus in all of his humanity and Jesus also being fully God came as a man. But because we have been hurt by man, people, we put up our walls with people and we put up our walls with Jesus. See, in the spiritual realm, there are these demonic beings called strongmen, and they are like boss demons. And they rule, and they have power, and they have these minion demons. That is not a technical word. It's just my word. (laughs) Minion demons under their rule. And one of those strongmen forces is called the spirit of fear. And it's a powerful force. And some of the side effects of that spirit of fear are fear of death, fear of man, anxiety, stress, lack of trust, and doubt. And I think maybe right now, in our world, in our culture, And even in church, that strongman spirit is getting paid some overtime. Because he is doing a stinking good job at what he's here to do. To put fear into the heart of believers. To cause us to have fear of man, anxiety, stress, doubt. But Jesus gave us truth. In Matthew 18, 18, he says, whatever we bind, or this word is in the Passion Translation, it says forbid. Whatever we forbid here on earth will be bound and forbidden in heaven, in the spiritual realm. Heaven doesn't just mean in this text that faraway place that we all think we're going to go, which is actually bad theology. But um, that faraway place up in the clouds, it means the spiritual realm. So what we bind here on earth, what we say no longer has power, is not allowed in our lives here right now today is no longer allowed in the spiritual realm. But when we bind something, we're also told to loose something. And do you know what we loose when we bind the spirit of fear? Love. We loose love. We bind the spirit of fear and we loose the love. And love is not a what. It can be a feeling, but it's also a who. It's Jesus. So the devil has taken this truth and he's twisted it to use against us to try to keep us from the fullness of love, which is Jesus. Because he wants to keep us trapped in fear. Fear. Fear of man, anxiety, not fully trusting, love, Jesus, who binds that. So the spirit of fear and the fear of man, I believe, has worked to keep us from Jesus, partly because he came to earth as a man. His humanity was for our freedom. And because so many of us are ruled by fear of man, we keep our distance from Jesus. I've been hurt. I've been hurt by man. I've been hurt by people. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. (sighs) Jesus might do that too. But it does not have to be that way. Because while, yes, he was fully man, he was also and is fully God. See, God went to extreme measures, and Jesus physically walked through them all. He did everything his father asked him to do so that he could fully identify with us. So that we could be confident in how he feels about us and how he knows us. Hebrews 2 says this, since all his children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. 100% identify with you. Someone in here today doesn't think that anybody can identify with them. Someone in here today thinks no one really understands what's going on inside of me. Jesus became human to fully identify with you. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. Spirit of fear. Jesus sets us free from that. For it is clear that he didn't do this for the angels. But listen, all the sons and daughters of Abraham. Going back to the generations. Going back to the names that God wanted us to remember. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity In every way. So if you've ever felt hated or misunderstood, Jesus did too. Do you know that from the moment he was born, someone wanted to kill him? King Herod heard about this king that was being born. And he immediately went into like a panicky rage. Afraid that this king would take his spot. And so he went out, and he had all the babies that were two years and younger, all the boys that were two years and younger, killed to try to get to Jesus. Don't misunderstand what following Jesus means. It doesn't mean a safe or an easy life. It might cost you your life. It cost all those baby boys their lives. Just because they were born at the same time, near the same place as Jesus. Some people would say, well, that it's not fair. It seems pretty harsh. Why would a God, a loving God, allow that to happen? Those babies didn't do anything wrong. Those parents didn't deserve for their children to be collateral damage. But it's because of sin in our world. See, God could have made us robots. He could have made us people who perfectly followed his will. But instead, he gave us a free will. A free will so that we could choose him, and that free will chose sin. But God, in his never-ending, always-pursuing, running-towards-us kind of love, sent his son to earth to be a human like us to fully identify with us, and to take our sin. And Jesus was hated for that. You will be hated for following Jesus at some point. You might already be hated for following Jesus. But you will be free. And you will have the best life. Not the easiest the best life now and in eternity. So if you felt hated or you felt bullied, I feel like there are some people in here who knows what it feels like to be bullied, to be made fun of for nothing that you've done, just for being yourself. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He felt the same feelings. That you feel. Jesus also felt very deep grief. When his friends Lazarus and John the Baptist died, it was significant enough that they put it in Scripture, the shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wept. He was heartbroken. For some of you in here, you are heartbroken because you've lost someone. Maybe you've lost someone to death. Maybe you have a child that's far from the Lord. Maybe you have a relationship that you're grieving over. Jesus knew what it was like to lose someone that you love. He also felt anger. You know, he went into a rage, albeit it was a righteous rage, in the temple when he saw people misusing God's house. He knew what it was like to feel righteous anger. Jesus felt temptation when he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and the devil devil came, and he threw all sorts of temptation at him. He knew what that felt like, to be tempted, to want to do things or take things that were wrong. He also felt hunger and thirst. When he was in the wilderness, he was fasting, and it says he was thirsty, he was hungry. His disciples, he and his disciples, they traveled around and there were probably times when they didn't have enough food. Jesus knew what it was like to feel hungry. Jesus was homeless. The Bible says he had no place to lay his head. My point is that nothing that you can feel is something that will surprise Jesus because he has felt and understood all of it. This one got me. Jesus even knew what it felt like to not be in control. He even knew what it felt like to not know the full plan. He told his disciples not even the Son of Man knows the hour of his return. Some of us walk around thinking, Well, if I just knew what I was supposed to do, if I just knew what God was asking me to do, if I just knew the next step, Jesus understands that. He knew what was required of him. Jesus felt despair. Some of you in here today feel despair, like deep down in your gut. Jesus felt so much despair when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was turned in by his friend, Judas, which also means he knows what it felt like to be betrayed by a friend. Luke 22 says this, Jesus left the upper room with his disciples, and as was his habit, went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. There he told the apostles, keep watch. Keep praying for strength to be spared from the severe test of your faith that is about to come. He was giving them a heads up. Hey guys, now would be a good time for you to start praying that you have enough strength to endure what's coming, because he did know about that. Then he withdrew from them a short distance to be alone. Kneeling down, he prayed, Father, if you are willing Take this cup of agony away from me. But no matter what, your will must be done, must be mine. Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him, and the angel appeared. He prayed even more passionately, listen, like one being sacrificed. Until he was in such intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping onto the ground. I think sometimes we could read that and we could just be like, oh, that's a nice little story. Jesus went to the garden and prayed and asked God, Father, I really don't want to do this. Can you take this away from me? He was in agony. Have you ever seen someone's tears turn into blood? He knew what the Father was asking of him. But he also knew what it was going to cost. A couple weeks ago, we were in Branson to pick our son up from camp. And we went to um, Sites and Sounds Theater. And they do this. They do one story from the Bible for a whole entire year. And this one was on Jesus. And I'll be honest, I was kind of like, eh, might be cheesy. It was one of the most incredible things we've ever seen. And when they got to this scene, Jesus is up on this big rock. It's a dramatized show. He's up on this big rock. And you can hear the devil, the accuser, spewing these lies at him about what he's about to endure and why. And you can see Jesus resisting the enemy. You can see the physical torment in his body as his whole body is convulsing knowing what he's about to face as he goes to the cross. And I've had moments, I have lots of moments where I get, you know, some people call them like Jesus goosebumps or chills, you know, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. But in that moment, watching Jesus on that rock and fully understanding the agony that he went through in that moment, my entire body went completely numb. It was so significant. It marked me as I realized that there is nothing, nothing we can walk through that Jesus can't relate to. See, Jesus felt pain he felt physical pain. Some of you in here today are in a lot of physical pain. Your bodies are broken or hurting. Jesus knows what that feels like. Some of you in here are in very deep emotional pain. Some of you, even today, have thought about taking your life. Say, it's just not worth it anymore. I can't. I can't do it. I can't continue to bear this weight it would be easier for me just to not be here Jesus is with you he knows exactly what you're feeling and what you're going through and he wants to rescue you see Jesus knew all And felt all of the non-sinful human emotions that you feel because he had them too. Jesus' humanity was the ultimate gift with the cross for us. And he desperately wants you to understand this. The enemy wants to keep you from knowing Jesus. That's the work of the devil. But Jesus becoming a human is the thing that gives you the freedom to trust him even more because he's been there. When someone's walked through a hard thing and then you walk through that same hard thing, who's the person you go to? The person that's just walked through that same thing because you know they understand and can relate to where you've been. He's calling out your name today. He's calling you. He's saying, I know you. I know exactly what you're feeling. I understand. He desperately wants for you to run to him, to stop stiffing on him, stiff-arming him and say, I surrender, Jesus. I surrender to you. You know, this also hit me this week. He even felt the weight of your sin on him when he was on the cross. He did not sin, but he felt what it feels like to have sinned. Because your sin, my sin, went on him. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he himself carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness and our instant healing flowed from his wounding. Some of you are walking around with the weight of your sins still on you. You have the weight of shame and guilt on your mind and in your body, but Jesus already took that for you. He put it on his body so you would no longer have to carry it on your body. He knows the shame you feel over that decision you made just last night. And he still loves you. He still wants desperately to be in a relationship with you. He knows what you're holding on to from 20 years ago. And you still won't forgive yourself from. And he still loves you. He still wants to know you. He knows those things you do in secret that no one else knows about. But he still loves you. He knows all of it because he carried it all on himself on the cross. See, God thought of everything to draw you to himself. He didn't forget about one thing. Not one struggle, not one pain, not one rejection. He knows it all, and he knows all of you. And through Jesus, you have someone who sees it all and knows it all because he is God and feels it all because he is man and he still wants you. And all it takes is you surrendering to him and choosing him. 2 Timothy one one 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at today. For someone in here, maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe you've never made that decision to turn to him. And that's Okay. He's still there, waiting for you. You can do it today. You can say, "Today, Jesus, I, I surrender. I'm gonna stop stiff arming. I'm gonna stop having casual faith in God, and I'm gonna surrender fully to Jesus, the one who came as a man in all of his humanity, in all of his God, and I'm going to, I'm going to meet him." with arms open, with hands open. Would you stand up on your feet? There's another group of you in here today that is caught in this demonic stronghold, the spirit of fear. And it can take on a lot of different looks. But I specifically feel like tonight, today, we are going to deal with this fear of man. Some of you are being so held back because you're so concerned about what someone that really doesn't even know you thinks about you. Or you're held back in your leadership in your home because you're worried about what your spouse might think of you. Or you're held back in a relationship because you don't want to seem uncool. And you're letting the fear of man, which is a demonic force, keep you from fully walking in the spirit of God so we're just going to have everybody close their eyes and I'm going to pray over you and if that's you if today you want to be set free from that fear of man if you say I am done living my life stiff arming Jesus and being more worried about what the world says than what God says about me I want you to come up here today and I want you to find freedom And if you want to meet Jesus, I'm going to be right up here, and I'll meet you up here, and I'll introduce you to him, and I'll pray with you. He is better than any drug you could take. He is better than any amount of alcohol you could drink. He is better than any amount of followers on TikTok. He is better than any amount of money you could have in your bank account. He is better than any ladder you could climb. He is better than any career you could have. He is the one who came down to earth and became man because he loved us so much that he wanted to experience everything that we would walk through to meet us where we are. So, as the band begins to sing, they're going to sing this song that talks about Jesus making a way. And that's what he's doing for you right now. He's he's calling to you, he's calling your name. I am the God of your name. He's saying, Come meet me. Come meet me up here. Let me take the shame. Let me take the guilt. Let me take the doubt. And in the name of Jesus, we rebuke the spirit of fear in this place. Father God, I speak against the fear of man. I speak and loose love, the spirit of love, the love of Jesus over these people right now. Father, do a work in our hearts. Cause us not to look to the left or the right at what the world thinks of us, what man thinks of us, what our spouse thinks of us, what our friends think of us, what our children think of us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. Who knows it all? Father, convict our hearts. Do a work in us. When we were worshiping earlier, I could hear the sound of chains falling and hitting the ground. The chains of fear that have held you back, that have paralyzed you, that have kept you in bondage, are gone, are broken in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. Thank you for your humanity. Thank you for your, the cross. Thank you for the work that you are still doing in us and the fact that you will come back to this earth as a man and you will live and reign and rule and we will reign with you. Thank you for your righteousness that became our righteousness. In Jesus' name.